welcome to Fort 1E. I'm your host, Evan, the only host of Fort 1E, the podcast. <laughs> that is a lie. I think we're getting interference. I don't know what that is. That is that is a straight-up lie. <laughs> this is the, the other host of Fort 1E, the podcast, Greg. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I forgot. We are... In- Fort 1E. It's a it's a theoretical place where there's real conversation. Yeah. <laughs> when where is that? Fort 1E. Well, I'm 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 glad you're here. Uh, I'm I'm glad you were able to make it. I was ready to be the only host, uh, but luckily you just showed up at the last minute, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Should we have some intro music? <laughs> Alright, that's good for intro music. Beautiful. Um, how have you been, dude? Well, what, what, was your, what were you asking? How have you been doing? How have I been doing? Yeah, dude. I'm going fucking mad. But, luckily, this, this Japanese supermarket opened up across the street, so I have unlimited access to red bean, like mochi, like mint chocolate chip mochi, like ice cream, like... Lots of ramen and like salty <laughs> snacks with different symbols that I have no idea what things mean. But I, I thankfully they have English translations. So I'm hoping they're just not lying. Um, but hopefully, I've just been trying. I want to try everything. I've got a gallon of soy sauce. Delicious. You yeah. should just like take it to the face. Start chugging the soy sauce all in one go. Right now. <laughs> If you want to be on the podcast, you have to do it. <laughs> this is called episode one, hazing. Um, is I was gonna ask if that ice cream is uh like vegan or if it's if it's got actual. Oh, that's the soy sauce. He actually got it. He actually it's got the soy sauce. Larger than my head. It is a metal container of soy sauce, larger than this gigantic person's head. So, I'm not going to chug it, but I probably won't eat soy sauce again for quite a while. For at least another week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, like, shooting it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got, like, an IV playing Call of Duty with an IV of soy sauce. (laughs) My eyes are just like expanding, 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 expanding. Triple kill. (laughs) Overkill. Um, Yeah, I don't know if those are in Call of Duty or not. I just played Halo. But is that mochi ice cream vegan, or is it actually... No, fuck that. I've just been having dairy pills. I'm way past the, the point. I'm just like, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> I'll deal with it. Fuck those cows. I'm lactose intolerant, but luckily lactase enzyme, you know, really helps with symptoms. That's good. Yeah. Is that what's in the pill? Yes. It's like, it's like, are you on the pill? <laughs> that was always the pill for me growing up. And then I learned about the other pill. That'd be funny, a commercial. It's like a, a cow, but it's like sort of like... A human-looking cow, and she's like all sexy, and he's like, 
oh, <laughs> you need to be on the pill. Wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Because the guy, yeah, never mind. Forget my idea. Want a drink? Want a drink? Wait, are you on the pill? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Got pill. Yeah, they, yeah. they should have done that. Great fucking commercial. They should definitely pay us for that like idea. A skinny cow. <laughs> what's that? What's that? Just like a really skinny like model cow. Yeah, some sort of like like if you tried to um, shape a cow like a Barbie doll or something like that. Right, but just has more tits. Yeah, I mean udders, right? <laughs> that'd be yeah, that'd be an amazing commercial. I'd watch all of that. I would watch it so often. That's the only way I would spend my time. Um, why are you going mad? What's maddening you? Well, I'm I'm basically not in interaction with any human beings for more than you know twenty seconds at a time um, in person. That sounds nice. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I always took for granted how isolated I can be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. Like, in the beginning, I was, like, playing, like, loud music a lot and, like, smoking cigarettes and, like, you know, really, like, just going all in. And now I'm just, like, huh, like, fading back into this, like, being content with not being okay. Mm-hmm. And just waiting it out. But being, um, not being too afflicted with loneliness or anything like that. You were able to keep yourself entertained with loud music and so forth. Yeah, I mean, still, you know, I just play my music a little bit lower just in case, like, someone's sleeping. Um, and the cat is actually all I needed for companionship. I could, for, for all that matters, this is a desert island, and I'm with my cat, like, whatever. It's all the same. Well, that's nice. Cats definitely help. But it's better because there's this uh, Japanese supermarket, so... I got go. I'll try to like make some sort of like polite conversation with the people in the store, and but I, I never really know what the hell to say in that situation. It's it's usually just so hilarious that <laughs> everyone just ends up laughing, <laughs> and then I leave. That's it. Wait, when you try to do what? Like you try to talk to the cashier or something, or yeah, or the cashier, other people in the store, the people next to the aisles. Like I'll just. I'll actually actively comment on the food in the aisles. Like, I'm... It's, it's amazing, like, there was no grocery store there. You're like the narrator of the of the grocery store. I'm like, oh my god, is that... Mochi? <laughs> Holy shit. Mint chocolate chip mochi? Like, I'm actually, like, being horrible because I just haven't talked to the people and I don't care, I need to just talk to people. <laughs> yeah, that's not being the narrator. That's being the, the crazy guy. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they didn't know it was there. And, and I'm making their lives better because now they know that this amazing thing is freely available to them out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I see. Look that's how good. appealing this is. Look how appealing. Wow. That bag is extremely appealing. Wait, what the fuck? Seaweed and salt potato chips. Seaweed and salt potato chips. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, this looks so, like, oh my god. 
Like, it, who cares what the hell's going on? Yeah. Like, this is going to be amazing. Are the chips made of seaweed, or are they potato with seaweed flavor? No, they're just, like, mashed potatoes, seaweed, salt, other stuff, formed <laughs> chip. It's amazing. They just I, hire I, really buff guys to mush it all together. <laughs> the bats do it. The bats just, like, munch up the, bats. the seaweed and potatoes. The bats, and they're just, they're just spit it out. <laughs> what bats? The same bats that cause the spread of the virus. Oh, Oh my. I was gonna say the S word, but that's a bad word. <laughs> oh, squirt. That's a very good word. Oh, Blastoise. Yeah, you should just. Pokemon work is uh, cuss words for sure. Diglett. Jinx already kind of is just like a thing that, like you say, you say if uh, it comes up in a conversation. Say the same thing at the same time, Jinx. It's Pokemon. That was a little far-fetched for me. <laughs> uh, oh, Squirt. <laughs> oh, Squirtle. Um, yeah, I was actually just reading about the origin of coronavirus, and it was talking about bats. It's on some CDC website. Yeah, what is the source of the virus? COVID-19 is caused by a coronavirus called SARS-CoV-2. So SARS-CoV-2, I'll, I'll say. Coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that are common in people and many different species of animals, including camels, cattle, cats, and bats. Rarely animal coronaviruses can infect people and then spread between people. This occurred with uh, MERS, COVID, and SARS, COVID, and now with the virus that causes COVID nineteen, which is SARS, COVID two. Ebola. <laughs> no, it's not Ebola. <laughs> but there's a different disease. It seems to be related to. I clicked the link, but there was like a scare about a disease called SARS years ago. That was twenty. Uh, eight or something. Twenty-eight? Twenty-oh-eight. Twenty-oh-eight, yes. <laughs> oh, eight. Oh, eight. 2008, people were concerned about SARS. Apparently, that is, like, in a meaningful way, related to COVID-19. Um, and then I don't know about this MERS thing, but it rings a bell. Um, either way, it, it says that it, it appears to have come from bats. Originally, every time, I don't think it means that other animals couldn't have also, like, gotten the disease, maybe, or something like that, but the origin was bats. Maybe their genomes are close enough to humans that it can make the jump. Apparently, in this case... Yeah, so a virus is just trying to do whatever it can to replicate and not die as well as it can. And it seems that with this strain, whatever it does to succeed in bats 
can sometimes also work in humans to some extent. Um, and maybe in most coronaviruses, it's a very small amount, so they would immediately die if anyone got, like, you know, co- if there was a COVID-14, you know, maybe there was and someone got it, but, like, it didn't have enough advantages in the human body, so it just went extinct almost immediately. Um, but apparently this one had enough, you know, mutations, evolutions, changes, and adaptations, and ability to adapt as well. So it also has some ability to adapt to new environments, and it uh, has some combination of that, and when it came in contact with humans, it was able to, from its perspective, kick ass and do a great job. (laughs) Yeah. We are this virus's bitch right now. (laughs) And we very well may continue to be forever. I mean, we're just going to eventually learn to get along with it or die. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like it should become an infrequent thing again if we keep it from spreading for long enough. Um, And we, we, you know, fort up, (laughs) as they say. And, uh, hang out and chat on the internet and, uh, wait until it's thoroughly defeated, or at least defeated enough. Yeah. Well, goddamn. This, I mean, the response is more, is, has definitely, we've talked about this, but the response to the virus, you know, is its own phenomenon. That, indeed, you know, Really, we have to separate the havoc from the virus itself, just so we can start to disassemble the havoc. Yeah, at the end of the day, it is all caused originally by the disease. But, you know, the thing that I keep thinking about is if we already know that pandemic diseases can happen, like, there should have been more preparation there there may have even been things that were set up in preparation that got cut. I'm definitely not an expert on that, but it seems like whatever people in charge of things were doing, they should have spent more time on this. Because now it's affecting a lot of people. And the economy. Even worse. <laughs> <laughs> even worse than hurting people, it could be hurting the economy. Uh, the economy isn't even a thing now. It's 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 now the idea of something that used to be, and the remnants of still remain, and now need to be reformulated in a way that maybe is more resistant to invisible forces. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, there is an inevitability in an economy existing, but we don't want it to, (laughs) he's chugging the soy sauce, uh, we don't want there to be ways to take advantage of things unfairly, which makes sense, um, I'm actually looking at the graph 
of daily cases now on the John uh John Hopkins University Johns Hopkins oh, I, was, I was, thought I might have been imagining that s but it's there Johns Hopkins University uh website and for a bit we had been putting in lower highs on the daily cases but the past two let's see what what kind of day was the 15th of the week that was a friday yeah it usually spikes on fridays and saturdays um friday specifically um i talked to sarah about this people probably are like let's say on tuesday or wednesday you feel like you might be a little sick but you you work from home or you work outside so you still have a job to do where you, you're not going to get anyone infected, for example. You, but you, you would still wait most likely till the end of the week to go to a doctor. Like on Friday, um, at some point I'll go get checked out. And so I think part of the reason the number of daily cases spikes on Fridays is not because more people get it on Friday, but because of more people go and get checked on Fridays, but regardless, if you look at the Fridays, they had been getting lower up until the 8th, and now the 15th and the 21st are both up, but you know, that could be because of improved testing. I think there has been probably continued increase in the rate of testing as well, so. For sure. Need to think about that too. Yeah, personally, I'm I'm not in a hurry to get tested. I thought a lot about it, and I think that um, if my employer requires me to get tested before I start work again, I'll get tested. Otherwise, really, what's you know the positive and negative diagnosis is going to do for me? It's not going to change my health. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still being as precautious as anyone. As precautious. <laughs> as cautious. <laughs> Somewhere between precocious and cautious. <laughs> I'm so cautious, I'm precautious. Dude, yeah, that's I like that. Precautious. That's uh write that down. <laughs> Way more efficient than post cautious. Oh my post cautious is completely irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like hitting the brakes after like <laughs> no it's like good after you come <laughs> or that yep actually in the united states the number of daily cases did descend the past two fridays so the us is actually still um doing the right thing apparently so that's good, keep but like, United States. this is, this is a sign that we need to keep doing it to some extent. The, the reduced social distancing. Yeah, like that shouldn't of end. Course. But, of um, you know, people do. Honestly, want I don't it. think it should have gone, it should not have gone this far, but it's been this far for so long now, for months. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> it should not have been. Maybe it should have been this bad at its worst for maybe a month. 
Like, we should have ramped down and ramped up. The... Like, we were completely incapable of formulating a plan to successfully do that. Apparently. The... Like, if you look at the very beginning of the daily cases, you know, it, it goes up exponentially. And each day that we didn't stop it from rising and get it to start going down was like, you know, another day or exponentially worse. Every single one of those that went up, it started to add weeks on to how long this is going to take by the end of it. It took us so long to get it to start going down. Um, and I definitely don't really know why that is the case specifically, but it does appear like there wasn't much of a plan. That's all I can say for sure. Yeah, it it was completely overlooked. And, uh, you know, so, for example, if you run a business that is selling food, like a grocery store, you want to be able to continue to do your business, so it's in your best interest to be able to sell people food, but having, like, aisles of vegetables that everyone's grabbing is not ideal for a pandemic situation. Um, ultimately, what some grocery stores did, which was to some extent necessary because of the situation, they continued to stay open, and had their workers wear masks and do as many things they could possibly do to be safe, but ultimately they were putting themselves, the people working there, at a much higher risk. Um, And it was because providing food was, was deemed very important, which it is, so... They were allowed to stay open, and the business chose to stay open, and at least some enough people continue to work there. Um, whether or not they get compensated more for risking getting sick or not, I don't know. But I think they should. We did all get um, the infusion, so there is at least that regardless. But um, what I think about is how I get vegetables in the mail every two weeks. But and that so yeah. that's doable. That like there's now a plethora of businesses that can use, that can do delivery. Now I don't know how realistic it would be to do delivery for everyone that needs food from Stop and Shop, but I feel like there could have been more preparation and had some amount of that, like for the elderly and for you know had people that are blind or, or would otherwise have trouble already getting groceries, you know? Um, how, about, how about relief from the government, like, giving money for groceries? Well, like, working with, like, an app or something, with a company that delivers food to all Americans, sending everyone, like, <laughs> standard supplies. Right, but... That might be a good idea, but what I'm saying well, is that... Let them select lots of lots out of the list or something. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Stop and Shop or other grocery stores could have spent time and money becoming prepared for this kind of situation. And having 
trucks ready that would be safe for pandemic situation and would allow them to do, deliver a lot of different things to a lot of different people efficiently. And, um, I, I would imagine that ju- this just one example, grocery stores, there are surely others where the business was deemed essential and it stayed open, but people were put at more risk, which means the virus spread more. Um, and if instead, so, and this, I'm, I'm talking about capitalism. I'm talking about the business should have spent more money becoming prepared. Rather than talking about like getting the government involved, um, because it would be in their best interest and it's kind of like, it, sh- it should almost be illegal for them to ask their employees to put themselves in the situation. So they mm-hmm. should to some extent be held accountable. Maybe, maybe not, but it the they could have helped. The customer is not in the first, in the primary line of reasoning. For business models, well, it's I'm, an I'm profit. I'm, I yeah, but I'm uh, more so the the employees in this situation. But but either way, um, trying to make money, and so if you don't have to spend money preparing trucks and a delivery system, then you won't, and you can distribute money for other things. Um, it it seems like one way this could have worked out better is if there was some requirement of some kind for businesses that are deemed essential to be prepared for this situation and that they do have to spend X percentage of their money or this much money per year on R&D and preparation because having... So your idea of having like tokens or, or cryptocurrency or some way of getting groceries without paying is great but that still doesn't make all of the trucks and all of the different like uh computer software people would use to organize that many deliveries all of that wouldn't just come into existence if they had already made all of that then your idea is way more useful and also you don't other people would also be able to it, it would just alleviate the problem and i imagine there's plenty of businesses that could have done this. Well, um, I mean, possibly, um, if you can't, if companies don't want to spend money in that fashion, maybe it's up to the government to make sure that there is this emergency program in place where there's cooperation between businesses or something. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if, if you can't, if you can't pay people to get along, you can hire someone to be a moderator. Yeah. Like the uh, health inspector, like, there's certain conditions that, um, you know, a cooking environment have to meet for health reasons. And that's, that's the government, you know, periodically peeking in and, and putting down a few rules just so everybody can safely, comfortably eat at restaurants and other awesome stuff. Um, and maybe we should also have a similar, you know, you need to be doing by law some amount of effort into being prepared for this kind of situation if it would make sense you know like if if uh you know so like in a grocery store where it w- it winds up getting deemed essential then those kinds of businesses obviously if you're a business that 
you're like a telecommunications business and like you're purely on the internet all the time, then you don't need it. But that seems like, um, yeah, it's just like you were, you were saying another, it, it already exists in, in, um, health inspectors. Yes. And the, the businesses have to spend money and, and time to pass those inspections. There's millions, there is a billions of dollars in health organizations making sure that people don't get sick, but such lack of attention to when people actually get sick that, yeah, maybe there should just be an, another organization or some shit, like, to deal with, to deal with that. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know enough about I mean, I guess the, so the CDC, um, disease control, something disease control. <laughs> yep. Center for, disease, Center for disease control. Okay. And, uh, I mean, it, it's working now. Whatever we're doing is, is, appears to be working now. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, there should be like a gear, a gear shift already set in place like we went from operating full speed like new york is like pushing the rpms you know eight thousand nine thousand you know and then we just went to zero and i think the biggest the biggest uh damage was done in the drop-off and now getting acclimated to the drop-off if we would have incrementally maybe ramped down so that we knew how to incrementally ramp back up mm. yeah. I really think that some some sort of irrational plan that should have been thought about that wasn't. Yeah. Like we have to we have terror threat levels. Why can't we have like disease threat levels? It's sounds it's really right. not a we should have had that shit in place. But we have to just think about this going forward. Only thing to do. That's all we can do at this point. But and continue to to try and deal with what we're facing now, but it seems like this is something that a lot of um or at least some amount of attention needs to be given to preparation to to bust out a bunch of masks things like that will need to be kind of queued up just like we have a bunch of bombs queued up in case. You know, other humans do things we don't like. <laughs> we should have, uh, some, some, apparently, uh, you know, just based on this, more queued up to deal with microorganisms we don't like. Like, people with 3D <clears throat> printers should be contacted and given specs to print and materials to print masks. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it all seems very doable. It's some, I think that wound up happening in response, but once again, it would have been nice if they were um, precautious. If this deficit, if this deficit were identified and really made public, like what the hell would we, what we do if everyone needed to go to the hospital once? Yeah. Um, no one thought about that, or the people that did think about that stopped thinking about it <laughs> for some reason. I, yeah, I wasn't, I, I do not really look at news things, so I don't really know. But, it does sound like if there was already, you know, 
good designs for masks to be made with 3D printers. That would have also been good instead of needing to come up with them in response. Um, yeah. uh, though, the library I work at, Rogers Moore Library, just got a 3D printer to assist in the creation of masks and face shields and things like that. So that's one bonus of this, is that when I go back to work, we'll have a 3D printer. So have you... So that's the thing, they're like, we're going to need people with 3D printers to print masks? Because, damn, that's... that's I thought that was my idea, but no, the, I'm glad that... So. Oh, um, well, one thing I can tell you for sure is that the Suffolk County library system, so all of the libraries in Suffolk, um, contributed all of their 3D printers to the main SCLS building, the main Suffolk County library system building, and a few people just stayed there cranking out face shields and masks. And we did not have, um, a 3D printer, but they said, hey, you want to, like, buy one, and we'll just send it, like, don't even, don't even have it sent to you, just have it sent to us, and we'll use it to make masks, but then when, when this is all over, we'll, you'll, it'll be yours. So, and apparently, we were like, hell yeah. I thought you talked about getting 3D printer previously, but apparently not. No, I have. There's been two separate times where we borrowed one, but we never actually convinced anyone to buy one. Um, but now, now we have. Nice. Yeah, so that's a silver lining. And it's also cool that my library was able to just sort of, like, get on top of doing something to help people, you know? One of the many important things that libraries can do. And you think you got corona, right? Like, from your dad, he went to the city or something? My dad tested positive for it. Okay. But you also said you had a fever somewhere around the time he went to the city? I saw him before he thinks he got it. Uh-huh. <laughs> maybe a week before he showed symptoms, I saw him. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a month after he stopped showing symptoms, I saw him again. Okay. So, all bets are off. My mom did not test positive, and she was living in the same house as him. Oh. You mean positive for antibodies? Yes. And the presence of the virus. But I think they're just doing antibody tests. Yeah, but the the test was for antibodies. Yep. Well, that's... I mean, it happens. Test negative somehow. Somehow. I have no idea how. I mean, I was reading about, like, can you get it outside, basically? And, like, it seems like the answer is yes. <laughs> um, but assuming, like you aren't really being completely isolated if you or, or or someone else isn't being completely isolated and they're in the same room as you that's generally a lot worse than like being outside on a beach with with maybe a hundred people but everyone's really spread apart like the apparently the latter case 
is probably safer than being inside with people um, for a number of different reasons. But ultimately, the best is to just be inside and never leave or see anyone else. <laughs> That's still the best. For the spread of the disease, sure. Yeah. For sanity... We we can't think about Saturday at this point. We're so we're so beyond that. Um, I just walk outside when there's no one there at like four a.m. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I just walk to the Japanese store. That works too. I I mean, I should go for a walk, but you know, maps are so alluring that <laughs> it's been a struggle. Like, there's really no motivation to actually leave. If I really think about it. I mean, you shouldn't be, theoretically. There's there's a lot of incentive to actually just do nothing. Well, I don't know about literally nothing, but... I don't know. I mean, when am I ever going to have time to do nothing? Uh, when you're dead? Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't want to waste it while I'm dead. <laughs> I'm just like practicing and just like <laughs> Bingo <laughs> Yeah. Uh right. I don't know if we explained that in the beginning, probably not. It doesn't matter. Um I'm glad that <laughs> when because you, you were very convincing just now and I thought you had passed away spontaneously, which would have been kind of an amazing way to start the podcast, but um it looks like you were just pulling the leg. <laughs> You're playing possum, as they say. Uh, but no, that's all you'll be doing for theoretically eternity after you die. Why? I, I don't. I don't think you spend too much time. Maybe every and, now and, and then. you won't be able to enjoy it because you'll be dead. Is my argument? How do you know that? That's what I thought. I mean, I guess you've been not alive before. But is that the same as being dead? <laughs> no, no. I think not. if you're gonna if you're gonna think of something that would last in an ethereal way after you die, it's something about like your consciousness or the way you feel or you, something personal about you. But when you're born, you don't have any of that. Theoretically, right? Like, you're just, like... Like, you might have a little bit of, like, innate traits, but for the most part, like, if, if you identify as, like, a musician or something like that, and you're like, my spirit will be a, a songbird when I pass away, you wouldn't know that if, like, you were an unborn baby. So, it seems like being dead would be different than not being born yet. In that sense. They're very different, in my opinion. Different in almost every way. Yeah. Besides the not existing part, which they have in common. Right, right. <laughs> in this realm of existence. Yes, yes. Well, of course. Um, I guess the loophole would be reincarnation. Right? Because then you're never... Like, if you're not born yet, you're just something else. So... You actually, or like, like, yeah, I, I guess the idea of an eternal soul is probably in a few 
different uh, religions, but reincarnation in particular that kind of answers what what would what would it be like, you know, like what would dying be like? Dying would be like becoming reborn as the next thing that you're supposed to be. What is not being born like? It's like being the thing before the thing you are now. <laughs> so they they actually have an answer for both in uh, is that Buddhism that does animal reincarnation stuff. H- Hinduism. I think Hinduism is Hinduism. traditionally the seat of reincarnation. Okay. But Buddhism does do that. Um, I think that souls, or the idea of concepts of soul or existence or something, like there could be a reserve. You know, you could you could die on Earth and then as a as like a ladybug or something, and then be reincarnated as a bird, but maybe. You don't. Sometimes you just don't get reincarnated right away. You're kind of a reserve. Maybe you exist in like some sort of bardo or some sort of other mm. dimension. And then when it's time for you to be incarnated, then you know you get manifested back in the dimension of physicality that we know. It contains everything. In it, you know. I see. There's really no way to prove that, or prove it's not that. But there may be an explanation, or may not be. But at the very least, if there's not, you would just be whatever you were before, I suppose. But I, I, I think if you're thinking of a soul or a spirit, I don't know. So maybe if you like my my heart really likes carpentry. I'm I'm a carpenter at heart, and I always I'm always working the wood. You know, that's my favorite thing to do. Is work wood. Um, <laughs> you might believe that even if you aren't born yet or you're a baby, because you have your eternal soul, you still have that propensity to to work wood. And and even though you hadn't done it yet and you haven't grown into a person that builds beautiful birdhouses or something like that. You would still have that as part of your soul. Maybe some people believe that. Well, maybe it's not the propensity to work with wood that you, you know, I guess not really inherit, but you know, have. I, maybe it's just the propensity to towards being aware of matter or some something more general that's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe less definable or quantifiable, like different flavors of soul. I mean. There's ways of looking at it, like the gene keys, there's like 32 or 16 different types of existence one can have based on, you know, the circumstances of your birth. Um, there's many ways to look at it. I mean, Zodiac, you know, obviously describes differences between individuals. You know, it's not talking about different bodies. It's talking kind of about souls. You know, there's kind of a metaphysical quantification there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the voice is looking at it, but as long as we constrain it to the plane of existence and know what we're ta- that we're talking about existence, it's easy to define and explore realms of non-existence. Mm-hmm. Shit that actually you know, is theoretical. Theoretically, <laughs> maybe, perhaps. Point is. 
you were saying that being dead and well, so being dead and not being born yet obviously are different. That's why I have different phrases for them. But um, do you think they feel different? <laughs> That's kind of a true question. Yes. How would they differ? <laughs> well, the the strings of consciousness that exist on the quantum level mm-hmm. have not been entropied. In if you have not been born yet, you mean? If you have not been born. Okay. There is an entropy of consciousness from the inception of it to the point where it disintegrates. Through the laws of thermodynamics. Okay. There has to be. So that's the proof that I'm using to to answer that question. So, yeah, so it would definitely have this effect because it is, you know, matter changing and and responding to electromagnetic energy and and things like that. Um, Existence causes entropy. To have existed is to have changed the universe. Right, but... So what does that have to do with strings? And then how, you know, how different, you know, one can measure with, like... Quasars, but like that's not really a, a relevant measure. You know, you can you can measure in in uh what I was what I whatever I said whatever I said that you something measure. about strings. Strings, yeah. They're just theoretical switches that are either vibrating or not. Mm, almost like um like. Like binary, right? Yes, but it's not in a state of one or zero at any time. It could be in various states in between one and zero. Okay, so it's which differentiate it differentiates it. And so, and and those are sort of in a meaningful way connecting all of reality together. So, almost like in the background of the physical world we can observe with our current technology, because it's theoretical. Right, with our current technology, we can observe things at one and zero, and negative one. But there are... Is that antimatter? There's evidence of... Sure. Antimatter or negatively charged matter. Oh, okay, okay. Um... But you were saying that these strings would be affected by the your consciousness having existed. And, well, I'm trying to figure out what you were saying <laughs> about why being dead would have this um, effect on the universe that would exist after you died, but wouldn't exist until you lived. Oh, uh, wait, were you asking specifically about that? Yes. <laughs> I'm su- I'm saying that's, like, a feature of existence. What is? 
that it changes the plane that you exist in on. Yeah. So I, I guess, but, but then why would you feel the persistence of your, or not the persistence of, but the effect of your consciousness on these strings? Like, I see how it's different, but. Oh, I mean, you might not necessarily feel it. It'd probably feel the same. You know, we have pretty sensory organs, you know, in the context of recognizing what's actually going on in the universe. Yeah. Epidermis. Your, your face balls. <laughs> your, your face holes. All, all. Like, we're, we basically have, like, when our face balls are tickled, then, like, we know what's going on. Yeah. But otherwise, we have no fucking clue. We, we do need at, at least some combination of, like, face balls and holes to really have a grasp of what's happening. For the most part. I guess Helen Keller got there. Good for her. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, she got there because consciousness can make postulates that aren't based on observation. Damn. Thank you. Transmission of information between minds, you know. And her nose worked. So some of her holes still worked. Um, I'm pretty sure. I actually don't know that. I should Google, like, could Helen Keller smell things? I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah. It seems like not being born yet and being dead would probably feel the same. What? Well, isn't that isn't that what you were saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying that <laughs> it would fundamentally be completely different. There's no way they could feel the same. <laughs> but you just said There's that no- we wouldn't. You just agree that we wouldn't have the organs to sense the universe in both cases. Correct. So it should feel equally not like anything. Correct. But it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I see. It's not terribly convincing. (laughs) But they... That's disconcerting. What's that? That's disconcerting. The fact that it's not convincing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is... It does seem different, though. And there definitely is a... You want it to be different. (laughs) No one wants being dead to be the complete end. Maybe some people do. Um, But I think that's basically. I don't know. I mean, you can kind of look at look at consciousness like you never stop dying. Like, Hmm? consciousness is never in a state of death. Yeah, um, I mean, technically... It's like infinitesimally... It kind of infinitesimally wanes. And, you know, once the the light bulb of consciousness in one person is extinguished, the the effects that that light bulb had on the other light bulbs still has an effect until those die off and then eventually, you know, has nothing like... If you look at consciousness as the waves it produces as well as the wave... The producer of waves. Then what? 
what I what I said. Yeah, but how does this affect how you would feel? Um, That's my question. I agree that they're different, but it seems like knowing what we know, they would most likely feel. But you would never feel the way you felt before you were born. Ever. You can't say that you would in good confidence. That's true, but, you know, like, I can not have any dreams, but, like, remember I was asleep, you know? And and it's a time where I'm not conscious, but I am aware of it. And, and there's different levels of that. You can be different amounts of awake and asleep. And, you know, I could just categorize not being born yet as feeling particularly not conscious. <laughs> you know? And that I, like, kind of did experience it <laughs> up until I woke up a little bit. Like, I mean, technically, no. I didn't, I'd never felt not being alive. The moment I was able to feel things, I must have been at least to some extent alive, and it would be silly, I think, to dispute that, but it... You make a good point. I don't really know what it feels like, but in another sense, I know that it... I know what it doesn't feel like. <laughs> at least. <laughs> it feels... and doesn't feel like anything. You know? Um, so by subtractive analysis, you can see how it might feel because it feels nothing like you've ever experienced. Yeah. It, well, it feels like no experience whatsoever. If you, it, that's, that's my memory of the experience. Now I don't, I've forgotten plenty <laughs> of things, you know, that doesn't mean they didn't happen. I don't remember not having experience, not experience. I don't remember ever not constantly experiencing and can never fathom not experience. Right, and that's because ever since you were able to experience things, that's what was happening. But you don't remember everything you've experienced. Of course not. And so maybe there was a time where I had a recollection of not being born, and I just forgot about it. You know, that's also possible. <laughs> Very possible. Uh, but unlikely. It, it seems like because none of my things that make me alive and make me aware of my surroundings are working when I'm dead and when I'm alive when I'm not born yet they would feel the same like like a baseline well like that's like what our experience says makes sense to return to baseline you know after leaving baseline it does seem that way. Um, even if there are these strings or other people that live on and are influenced by us, um, you know, I, I, I guess I do kind of see how, in a sense, it is a little bit like part of our consciousness has um, persisted. But in a very literal sense, it hasn't. And regardless, we wouldn't feel that if we're dead. Right. Okay. I mean, I see where you're coming from. 
but you don't like it? I think we investigated that idea completely. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly, so, contra- so that's like, um, you know, the, the limit, taking the limit of something, like, the limit yes. is, you know, X approaches 10, you know, um, so, like, with tangent, you could get that the, at, at a certain, um, asymptote that, that is going to positive infinity or negative infinity, depending on if you approach, I, I think it's like pi, um, from, from a negative end or from a positive end. Um, I forget how you designate that, but if you approach this asymptote from one side, it'll tell you negative infinity is the, the what you get as you approach it. Um, positive infinity on the other side, but then if you look at not the limit, if you just look at the value at that point, it's undefined. So right. the yeah. the limit can really tell you some pretty important things. Um, if you just look at the value, you just get undefined. You would not know that on one side is positive infinity and the other side is negative infinity unless you took the limit. So it's, it's, it sometimes seems really dumb and unnecessary. Why can't you just do the equation? But, um, in this, in that example and in our being born dying example. So we've been looking at, um, being born as X approaches becoming alive. Um, and being dead as X leaves becoming dead. So now we can look at the other sides. <laughs> How does... Maybe there's negative existence before existence. We well, that's what we've been talking have, about. Because we can only see the realm of existence or non-existence. And in our... On the other side of being born... We don't feel that. We don't remember that. Like, we don't remember becoming born, you know? Um, it would be interesting if someday there was a way to actually see what is in a, you know, a fetus or whatever it is, a baby's head, while it's, you know, like, right before it's time to come out, and then as it comes out and things like that. Like, it, it, it would, it's, that's gotta be. It must be the most exciting moment of consciousness. I mean,. Maybe it just sucks. It might really suck. <laughs> it's like the worst pain you ever feel. It might really blow. Um, but it could also be like, ooh, it's like pretty cool out here. Sup, dude? Hi, mom. Like, um, you're just like, here we go again. <laughs> I know I won't remember this, but <laughs> I think I had a good time last time. Yeah, possibly. Um, that would be cool to be able to like, safely get that information <laughs> you know like i think we could probably try and get that information but we'd have to jam a bunch of stuff into the to the baby's head you probably shouldn't do that <laughs> i can't think of any way modern science could help with this problem um maybe reduce dragon that's pretty much why I didn't want to be a neuroscientist, because of the limits of our um, time, which is not there yet. When I took my major, I was under the assumption that we were more advanced as society, so... Oh. Oops. 
It's alright. I just got hungry instead. <laughs> Off made mistake. It's worked out fine since. Wait, what's that? Everything's worked out fine since for me. I'm glad. Yeah. But I'm 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 imagining that even though being not being born and being dead feel the same, becoming born and becoming dead feel different. <laughs> well, you can probably compare them in a way. It depends on the situation. You can die so many different ways. Like, the synapse becomes flooded with neurotransmitters. Oh, on a chemical level. And and based... Yeah, I, I mean, I just tell you this. Mm-hmm. But based, based on, like... Basically, if you have a shit ton of neurotransmitters, you know, being released, like, into the synapses, it doesn't really matter which neurotransmitters there are, it's going to have, like, a pretty overwhelming effect. Okay. And is that what happens when you die? It's it's been purported, mm-hmm. purported that yeah that's that's what happens you know certain chemicals are released leading up to death and then your synapses become flooded 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 and eventually they reach this action potential where they're able to just transcend existing or cease to exist or just burn out oh or instead of going instead of like just going dead like a light bulb it's like the signal jumps out of the light bulb. Wow. And it's just a few into the air surrounding it. So that, I mean, almost sounds like it could be at least related to things like near-death experiences or, like, my life flash before my eyes kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Because, like... Yeah, if you really, if your brain becomes certain that you are dying, and it did that, then you would have that experience, and then you didn't die. You could talk about it afterwards, but right, that's the the whole psychedelic experience. Yeah, you know the Tibetan Book of the Dead and all of that good stuff. That yes, um, real ins- real insight into into the realms of consciousness. Because if you think about life and existence, there's like different flavors of death, and that's all of existence. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. The only thing that appears to stop existing would be your consciousness. You know, your body's still there. The only thing that does seem to transition from inexistence to not is your consciousness. But your death is certainly very real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think we can necessarily say that consciousness ceases to exist at death. Right. But we can say we can't measure it anymore once someone dies. Yeah. In that in that source of consciousness previously. So, that's where we're at. Well, I mean, that does sort of imply that it's because it... Is gone. <laughs> yes, that is. An- <laughs> That's definitely the the most the Occam's razor simplest explanation for why it's no longer measurable is because it's not there anymore. Now that well, it's no longer measurable there. That we could say for sure. Right, but we also know that, like, if if 
you know, if I'm playing Oblivion on my computer, and then a rock falls through my ceiling and destroys my computer, and Oblivion leaves my screen, I'm not like, where did it go? And, like, look around the air. Like, I know that that thing I was seeing is generated by a series of electromagnetic pulses in this box to my right. And I'm very similar in that respect. I'm basically doing the same thing. Um, better at some things, worse at others. But regardless, if a rock fell on me, you know, like, my whatever I'm experiencing... Similarly, we have no reason to believe it's going to float up into the air or, or do anything besides just, like, because, like, so, like, but, but, so that might be a really good analogy. The world of Oblivion, maybe some people will disagree with me, but the Elder Scrolls uh, world is fictional. <laughs> and, um, so, even though it appears to be a real thing with a lot of different intricate moving parts on my computer screen and generated by my computer, um, it is... Wait, what's that? That could be the soul. Is that... That's the analogy you're going for? Well, no. Um, I wasn't going to use that word. Um, that, like, world of sounds and experiences and images and characters, um is all fictional, and it doesn't really exist in front of me on my screen, but I can sense it and experience... I'm able to sense it and experience it, so the consciousness might be very similar. It's this generated... It's not on a flat screen, but it's, it's this generated system that's very complicated of images and sounds and experiences and characters that can interact in different ways, and um, when my processor and hard drive fail... It just, just, just as it was fictional and not really there before, it continues to be fictional and not really there after. But it was measurable before the event, and immeasurable after the event. So logic says it's not there anymore. But mm. we could just be unable to measure it anymore. This is true. But to follow with the computer analogy, we do know that the brain is working in a very similar way, sending electrical impulses to different parts that mean different things and cause different things to happen. Um, and if, but if there's like a cloud that, you know, you can, this consciousness is on, you know, you can access this information like a solid, like a state in a game that's, Obviously not accessible without power, but when it has power, you know, is accessible and cannot be destroyed by a falling rock. Um, well, if the rock destroyed the power source, then it would stop existing. Uh, but at, at the point, well, so what I wanted to get to is, now that we've brought the idea of the computer in my brain, like, like, and we're talking about consciousness which may or may not exist um in the in like a in a sense that it persists or anything like that how am i conscious and the computer isn't um i i 
I can say that I'm conscious that other beings are conscious that other beings are conscious, and I'm not conscious whether machines are conscious of whether beings or machines are conscious. Um, so that's the definition of consciousness, then? Yes. I mean, it sounds pretty good, because that's, like, a big thing that is important, I've read, at least, because I'm not an expert on any of this, but, um, Oblivion, actually, um, I, I know a good deal about that game, but, <laughs> uh, almost everything else you've spoken of, I'm a, I'm a novice, but humans' ability to, um, Oh, what were we just talking about? Um, Oblivion? Before that. We're talking about... Oh, thinking about... about, Okay, right, right, right. Uh, A thing that is important for humans is, um... It was in your answer. We are aware of other things thinking and of their ability to be aware of the fact that we think. That that series of... That series of logical steps doesn't appear to be in a lot of other organisms. I think that other apes might be might have that, but I think it's largely you would can you you could argue it's something that makes us human. So, and if we're going to argue we're the ones that are conscious, uh, uh that's more or less what you were saying is that being conscious of other people being conscious and also being conscious of them being conscious of other things being conscious that basically sounds like um it could be a really good definition for consciousness like that that sounds pretty good um the problem is if if chimpanzees and gorillas do do that then we probably shouldn't be putting them in cages <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like if that's the line we might be messing up there it's really murky i don't know enough about them Okay, the point I was going to bring up is, I mean, I don't know if I previously brought this up, but if a consciousness exists and it is able to make a measurable change in the environment, which then brings about a change in consciousness, if the original source of consciousness ceases to exist from death or whatever, Mm -hmm. changes it makes can continue to affect consciousness in a way that consciousness would affect consciousness, so... Can you say that the consciousness has been completely extinguished um, with death? It purely depends on your definition. I think if you're going to be really technical, then consciousness it doesn't literally exist, and it's kind of just a fun word, and it doesn't like like temperature and gravity mean something. Um, if you're going to be really technical, and I think when it comes down to it, consciousness is not something that scientists agree is like those words. Um, and that we definitely have electrical activity going on in our brains, but, you know, and you can, you can put electrodes in people's brains and measure the, the activity, and you can dissect a human brain after the person dies. If you're feeling gutsy, you can dissect their brain before they die. But regardless, there you can measure certain things, and you can say these things are here. And generally, that's the only things <laughs> that are considered to be there. And you will never find a nugget of consciousness 
when exploring their brain by any means that we know of so far. But that's kind of what we got to go with, right? Like, we can't... <laughs> we, we, we do need to go with what we know, at least for now. It's good to explore it. But in, in a technical sense, it kind of just doesn't exist at all. But in a technical sense, it does. How can you program a, a computer to react to consciousness without it being aware of consciousness? Um, well, if, so that's not a good way to refute whether or not it exists, because if it doesn't exist, then, then that question doesn't mean anything. Um, well, can machines, can machines detect whether or not something exists? I mean, machines measure temperature and stuff. So then they can measure consciousness, too, is, is my argument. Um, but that doesn't mean consciousness is real or not. If there's a program which, to run, demands a very high level of consciousness, like Oblivion, but then, then seeing how well you're playing the game could be an indicator of how conscious you are of all the factors needed to be successful at the game. I mean, it could, but ultimately what we can measure that we already know is that the former is generated by computing power and my graphics card and my processor. And there's no consciousness, once again, if you dissect my computer, you will not find any nuggets or trace values of consciousness. And if you bludgeon me to death and look at my brain, <laughs> same story. But a game, I'm saying a game that can only be played by consciousness, of course... I can make a program that can play Oblivion. Right. <laughs> Someone might have already so, done that. Programs can be conscious in the way that humans can in that particular context. Well, not just that one. Like they, Someone made an AI that basically broke records in like 30 different Atari games, and those have been around for decades, people playing them, and it just came up. All they gave, it was, it was called Deep Something. A lot of these AIs are called Deep Something. Um, I could probably try and Google it, but it basically was only given the pixel values on the screen. So it just, like, there's there's a, a white pixel at, like, you know, like, let's use, um, you know, uh, like Battleship numbers. So, you know, A1 is a white pixel, and then A2 is a white pixel, and A3 is a black pixel. And it, and it doesn't, computers don't know what white and black are, right? It's just a, a number, uh, or a set of three numbers, you know, the RGB values that represent, well, actually, since it's Atari, it's probably fewer than 256 each, but it's some number. So just all it has is a grid of numbers per second or per fraction of a second. It was able to learn how to play all these games. Um, Deep Mind Atari, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, that, I think, is a good example of how we need to really be thinking about what consciousness means, because it either is just sort of something that doesn't have a real scientific meaning, or it might, if it does, it's likely we've misattributed it and a bunch of other things would fall under the definition. I think as long as we look at it as a subjective quantity, which can be quantified 
in a lot of various different ways, mm-hmm. but maybe not exactly ubiquitously. Yeah, certainly not in a way yet. that's agreed upon, right? And yet. yes, yet. But for now, it does seem like we are very much doing the same thing that computers are doing. And, uh, you know, if, if I turn off my computer, have I, have I m- murdered somebody? <laughs> if I accidentally knock my computer over, is it manslaughter? <laughs> you talked about manslaughter the other day. I forget why. Um, the, the arson thing. And I found out that there's no arson for manslaughter. I mean, there's no manslaughter for arson either. <laughs> either you meant to burn them or you didn't mean to burn them. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you figured that out. Um, yeah, I think it's called, yeah, a deep mind, but that, that's the Atari thing. But yeah, we probably, I mean, there, there just is no scientifically agreed upon, like, real measurement or proof that consciousness isn't just some way we describe what is happening in our own minds, but like, it isn't really, you know, there's no molecule, there's no subatomic particle, it's all just, this is what, if you take, you know, meat and bones and, and lots of evolution and, and electromagnetic shit and you mix it all together, this is what you get. But like, you can also mix a bunch of metal parts and electromagnetic stuff together and, and there, there doesn't seem to be really this fundamental particle that separates one from the other. Right. It's it's more it's like the interactions between the particles that it matters more than the part of what the particles are themselves. Yeah, so like temperature isn't the state of a single molecule. Yeah, it, it's it, I guess that might be the, a better way to start looking at it is like what it so let's say there is a state of consciousness. It must have a list of requirements. It doesn't seem like it's easy. So maybe a list of dozens or hundreds of things that need to be present in the brain. And also, you know, your, your ability to, how, how important is it to be conscious that you and I can see? That is a huge question. So my computer cannot see anything. Well, actually you can see me right now because I have a webcam on, but like normally it doesn't see anything and that doesn't seem to bother it um there are people that are blind and they're obviously still conscious people so it doesn't seem to be that important but like it it does kind of seem like the ability to picture things the ability to have an image of the physical world and the ability to also have the image of a made up world to be able to have both of those in your head, um, in in your system, in your your system that creates a state of consciousness, maybe that is one of the parameters. But um, I I I guess it maybe it's just that no one's agreed on what those are yet. But right now, we need to be making sure we're not just sort of putting ourselves on a pedestal. And, and arbitrarily, just because we like ourselves. Because humans, and scientists included, have done that all the time. As conscious beings who can measure our own consciousness in, in 
these supposedly confident, you know, ways. Yeah. It makes us feel special. We're the only ones doing it. Right. Or so we think. Yes, or so we think. <laughs> uh, it, it does seem important, but we need to always be objective, especially if we're trying to be in, be scientific. So we, we need to be aware that, you know, if this is how we excuse certain behaviors and certain actions, we should make sure we're not being arbitrary about it. So I mentioned putting gorillas and, and apes in cages, like, and that's a tricky one. That's, um, it's like trophy hunting. Have you heard about how trophy hunting is like a lot of the money goes to conserve the animals? That's iron, irony. It is wild, but apparently, <laughs> but apparently, um, you know, having a good array of, like, elephants and, and lions and zebras and, and other organisms, um, without getting attacked by bandits and without drought ruining everything is, like, expensive and complicated. But if you can occasionally have one lion get shot <laughs> to pay for all of it, and you need to cull the lions anyway, why not? So there's a lot of conservation effort that is funded by people paying to shoot the animals, which is mind-blowing. <laughs> but apparently it's working. <laughs> and it's it's still like maybe like I think as a final way to solve the problem, it blows, right? But if it's the only way to keep them from going extinct until there's a better way to, to prevent, you know, bandits and, and st uh, you know, elephants will destroy the environment. Like, elephants are kind of assholes, um, and they will destroy the environment around them. Farmland, just trample it. Um, so that's one of the reasons it's so hard to have a farm and make, you know, a living doing that in, in certain places where there's elephants that might destroy it. Um, if that could be better managed then maybe we won't need to shoot as many of them. <laughs> it seems like the road to managing most of them and saving all of them, nearly all of them, <laughs> is, is, is being solved by shooting a few of them. I, and, I don't, oh, wait, what were you going to say? I don't know, I don't know what to say to that, really. The, the analogy I was going to make about the, um, Gorillas and other apes that, that are caged up or maybe being experimented on as well is that like the ones in cages at the zoo ultimately get people interested in zoology and like conservation and protecting apes. And so once again, it's kind of like it sucks in a way to have them there. Oh, there's a cat. Uh. Hi, kitty. It's a Sadie. Um, it's good to have. It's bad to have them there in some kind of obvious way, because you've taken them from their home and have caged them up, but if it's part of the process of saving them, once again, we have a really, really murky <laughs> situation. But ultimately, whether or not that's right or wrong, 
it hinges a lot on what is consciousness, which is largely not agreed on, and whether or not it exists, which in a lot of senses it does not. But there are ways to measure it without proving that it exists. I mean, I don't think there's an agreed-upon consciousness measurement. I don't know what unit you would use, but I don't think there is one. Yeah, I, I don't know what unit I would use. There was a guy who tried. Okay, so what did he use? Like, co coin, con, coins? Oh, I, I forget what he called the unit, but using his science, a DVD player is about, like, two million times as conscious as a human being. Well, he clearly did the math wrong. <laughs> did he? How do you know? Of course. How do you, but like, but you don't really, like, he could be right. Like, DVD players could be way more, con like, conscious than we are. Once again, if we don't have, like, a unit for it and we can't measure it, like, who's to say? <laughs> we could take the parameters on how one can measure consciousness indefinitely. Maybe. Hopefully not. Regardless, it's not agreed upon now, and uh, as a result, you really can't scientifically accurately say humans are more or less consciousness than an orangutan or a DVD player. Right. But it's important to figure it out, because that's... Well, we, in, we, certain, all right, in certain contexts, you'd see, like, human beings are more conscious on a tennis court than than bugs, usually. I don't know how you came to that conclusion. Really? Well, prove it. Like, how do you know? Like, what did you measure to come to that conclusion? <laughs> I, 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 did, I did not measure anything. How much more of what does the human have than the bug? How many more neurons? Many. Well, don't whales have way more neurons than we do? Yeah. So I'm not saying whales are more are less conscious than humans. That would be stupid. And then what is a neuron but, like, an, a series of uh, uh, possibly, you know, like, electromagnetic signals, like the ones in my computer or DVD player? And then now is the DVD player the most conscious of the bug and the human? <laughs> well, in the, the context of being on... In the context of being off, it's way less conscious than any human being that's alive. Probably. But if, it, if the DVD player's on, and you're just trying to measure it by electromagnetic activity, like the act electromagnetic activation of neurons, then you could once again go back to the computer argument and say that like certain vending machines are more conscious than humans, you know? <laughs> When there's money in them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, but it's an important thing to figure out. I, I just, I, I think it's, it's important to know it's not fully agreed upon. This cat is loud. It's not, Jesus. <laughs> fully not agreed. Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. It's a cat. And it's not your cat. It's my cat. Um, it's not fully agreed upon what consciousness is or how to measure it. And uh, if we're using it as what keeps some living things in cages and others not, we should be trying to figure it out. 
in addition to the fact that it's cool, and there's probably a lot of other reasons why it would be good to have a better, uh, a better understanding of consciousness, be it real or, or just, you know, wishful thinking. <laughs> I guess there's no way to prove how wishful, wishful thinking really is. I mean, I guess you could argue like it just you could you could represent it with like a ratio like if you're like, "Oh man, I'm like like I'm 1% sure I'm going to win the lottery <laughs> this week." And like it's really 0. 0.000000 you're like you could just divide those or make the ratio of the 1% to the real number and that's how much wishful thinking they had, but yeah, if it's if it's okay. not with numbers, it gets way harder. <laughs> <laughs> like I hope my chicken laid, you know, two eggs today, but like the average number of eggs for a chicken is one, so his wishful thinking is two to one. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, we're so good twice, at this. Twice as optimistic as he should be. See, we, but like we were able to. M- figure that out and how to measure that in, like, five seconds. Like, Cat could not do that. I'm no. Sorry. I'm sorry, you're but... <laughs> Cats are great, but they don't operate computers uh, or write, like, poetry as well as most humans. Not to say they're not more intelligent. Right. Or more conscious, or less conscious. Um, you got any, any last words? I think we put in a pretty good amount of, uh, figuring out the problems of the world. Yeah, we definitely have, like, two hours written stuff, but maybe it's time, maybe this could just be, like, our, uh, I don't know. Well, this is the first attempt we had at, at making 4-1-E podcast. This is historic, historic session that we should revisit and then have some feedback from. Absolutely. Um, we are not decided on where we're going to have our podcast yet hosted exclusively, but probably nowhere. Probably on SoundCloud, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, maybe Spotify too. I'm not sure if that's more complicated. Uh, we'll have it everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. But I will not be acknowledging anything to do with Facebook. He will not acknowledge well, anything Instagram, to do. Instagram, I will acknowledge. So, I'm a hypocrite, but whatever. That's, that's delightful. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have information about that that's more specific, but we will certainly be in those places. Um, and, uh, we hope you enjoyed the chat. If you've got any ideas about consciousness or bats and SARS or, uh, oblivion questions. Oh if, oh, if we if we said anything completely wrong, we would love yeah, to. That's why we speak. We speak to. We be, would love to be proven wrong. Yes. So definitely, just you know, keep it to yourself and don't don't tell. No, I'm just kidding. You should definitely illuminate us. Let us know some stuff if you can. Yeah, and uh, you don't even need to be nice to us. You could be really mean to us if you want. Go nuts. Speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time on Fort 1E.